Borat song, Earthlets. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 47th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD and Tornado from March 1980, with progs 140, 154 to 158. This week, Sam Slade goes to jail, the VCs go on offense, Blackhawk dares to dream, and the quest oh. for the Judge Child begins. Oh. <laughs> uh, you gonna, you gonna sing once we get there? I can't. I, I, I make bold claims on Facebook about not being able to say <laughs> the name of this villain without, without singing, and let's see if I can keep it up. Oh. I think, I think that your, your track record will remain strong. All right. Oh, God. So, uh, let's get started with, you know, just general political assassinations and so forth with Thrill One Robo Hunter. Script robot for Robo Hunter is John Wagner, writing is T.B. Grover, the art robot's Ian Gibson, the lettering robot is Steve Potter. Holy crap, it's a bunch of adorable robots all shooting you at once, making right. you fall apart. Yeah, secretly robot counselor uh, Armit is under attack from the nose guns of the Teeny Mix. It's really adorable, if not, like, completely horrific. It's true. Yeah, they get some pretty serious hits in, like they blow off his left arm and stuff. Armit runs into his mansion, pursued by these sort of nine-inch-tall Pac-Man robots, basically. <laughs> um... As he goes, he calls Sam as the uh, and sort of desperately begs for help as the robots cut through the door. Sam's on his way, but he's caught in the middle of a huge demonstration parade rally by Molotov the Agitator Bot, as a, with an even larger gathering of the amalgamated Android Union. Um, Which, what the heck, man? They're protesting. They're tired of being mistreated. They're tired of there being this a, a class of professional dedicated to murdering them in the form of Sam Slate. <laughs> I mean, when you put it like that, it it makes a lot more. <laughs> you gotta you you gotta think about how the fact that we gave these robots sentience and now they're ac- they're exercising it. It's a problem, and that's why you don't give robots sentience. You know? uh, yeah, it's totally fine to give robots sentience. I though. mean, it makes it like, easy. It makes it easier for them to do orders and stuff, but it also means eventually they uh, unionize. Um, we wouldn't want that. No, uh, Sam runs the rest of the way to the to, the, uh, to Armit's mansion. But as he arrives, the mechs are setting like the closet that the counselor's hiding it on fire, and the mechs turn their guns on Sam Slade. I didn't know androids. Well, I guess he's not really an android, is he? Oh no, he is an android. Yeah, he's didn't like know they a- melt. I mean, I feel like even if he's not melting, like if you put enough heat on the on those sens- sensitive electronics, it'll br- it'll it'll break them, you know. That's like don't fair. don't put your like iPhone in a campfire, dude. It's not a good plan. That's <laughs> what I'm trying to say. Um, we all know what happened to the mess. Exactly. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so the mechs turn their gun on Sam. So the teeny mechs have Sam pinned down, and the camp counselor dies slash is destroyed. I guess. Back at Teeny Mech HQ, the Teeny Mech controller, which appears to be some sort of ape man in a suit. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Wait, but, what? Yeah. You know, there's mysterious conspiracy stuff going on on the outside of this story as well. But he tells the Teeny Mechs to take evasive action and not to kill Slade because too much violence could endanger the day of the droids. So... A couple mechs stay behind, growing vampire fangs and attacking Sam hand-to-hand as the rest really escape. 
Yeah, and uh, set the building on fire. Outside, Hoagie, Sam's would-be assistant, is uh, taking notes on the situation and talking to the vending droid that is the mothership for the teeny mechs, and then watches them all escape. <laughs> and just like, oh, they're so adorable. Peace out. And he's exactly. like, oh my god, just crawling out of this burning wreckage, peeling another robot off his face. Well, he, he doesn't crawl out, remember? He jumps out of a second-story building into a fountain. Oh, that's right. <laughs> um, so later Sam basically gives his like ridiculous sounding account of the, of events to some lady cops and, and nurses and firemen and he's then confronted by Counselor Armit a new robot replacement he denies oh both being a robot or hiring Sam and instead accuses Sam of arson the robot hunter is arrested quickly tried and sent to jail for five years ah oh, jeez that's, uh, that's a pretty intense turn of events for old Sam Slade. It's true. The whole time he's like, hey, just press the counselor's teeth and his face plant and his faceplate will pop open. And everyone's like, we're not going to do that. That's ridiculous. Uh. And speaking of ridiculous, yeah. immediately upon arriving at jail. Well, Sam arrives at New Sing Sing Prison where cons are forced to sing and dance for the pleasure of a bunch of cool hand Luke inspired robot guards. Um. Pretty much. And they're forced to sing like these show toony. They're very like, like yeah, they're very show toony. Like we are prisoners and we'll never escape, and we're all gonna die in prison. Kind of song. Yeah. Uh, we like, are yeah. the happy prisoners. Just, Just this day, day admitted, admitted, we're doing we're time. Doing time to, to pay, pay for, for a crime, crime we shouldn't, we shouldn't have, have committed. committed. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Stupid. Excellent to wet the box. We're we're working this, but. Uh, <laughs> Sam is adamant about his innocence and catches a tasing for not playing along and then gets beaten up by guards because they don't like robo hunters. Yeah, pretty much like this entire thing is them saying how much they don't like them and then beating him for a while. Exactly. Yeah, there's a there's a quick comedy break as a robo doctor comes in and basically just sort of, you know, inspires Dr. Zoidberg with his in- incompetent medical act. Uh, Sam's Sam's put to work on a robot repair line where he meets like half a dozen other robo hunters that were also framed and put and been put in prison for a couple of years. They've been told to also work on the assembly line as some weird penance. Well, and they just know the most about robots. You know, they've destroyed enough that they could probably fix them the best with the least amount of training is what I'm thinking is, is what I think the thinking is. That's pretty fair. Yeah. One of them has heard the name of the operation, the day of the droids. They got to do something. And to do that, they're, they'll need to escape. Sam has a plan and a man on the outside to help him. Oh, geez. No, it's Hoagie. That's going to help him. That's a terrible plan. It's not plan. a good idea. <laughs> so uh. Sam, Sam manages to convince Hoagie to help him escape. Even though he's like, as he does it, he has to work really hard against Hoagie's natural dumbness. But Hoagie will have a set of wheels waiting for him when he finally escapes. Uh, uh. We we learn that the penalty for escape is death, and Sam befriends the uh, Sing Sing Sadie, the uh, surveillance computer. That's just one big like lady eye, like a big eyelash and stuff. So. Yeah. At the Robo Repair Line, Sam and the other Robo Hunters program the bots they're working on to go berserk, and in the chaos, Sam steals a giant construction bot. He squashes the... Not just a giant construction bot. It is like he is pea-sized in the control head of this thing as he's just like stomping around with yeah it's basically basically yeah it's like a full 
construction wrecking ball themed like Voltron, basically. It's so awesome. He squashes the prison captain and all the guards, breaks down the walls, and just is on his way to freedom. He, he blasts through everything on this construction bot and like it's really hard to it's hard to underestimate just how how awesome all the Ian Gibson art is you know he we've seen him do a lot of stuff with detail and like just what's going on mm. in the background as Sam slams through everything is really excellent I love that it has a uh, chain shot punch definitely <laughs> for reasons <laughs> so Sam ditches uh. the ditches the robot and finds Hoagie who's in excellent disguise with a uh, with a trench coat and a fake mustache and stuff and Hoagie's uh. got the set of wheels for their escape there's like 18 or 20 different wheels all different types because he didn't know what's going on we got some uh, Amelia <laughs> robot Delia stuff going on here yeah. So, on foot, Hoagie leads Sam back to his apartment where they can hide and get some rest. Right after he enjoys the huge surprise jailbreak party that Hoagie has organized (laughs) to celebrate Sam escaping from jail. Yeah, it's just a thousand people all celebrating. Um, and all of them just like, oh, like, do the police know where you are yet? And like, congratulations, Good show escaping, old bean. Um, we we, We meet Hoagie's parents who built him from a kit and love him like a son. It's, it's, it's actually kind of nice, if you think about it. It's adorable. Um, yeah. It's adorable. In, in recognition for giving Hoagie a job, Hoagie's dad gives Sam, the greatest character of early 2000 AD, the Robo Stogie. Oh, my God. He's full of 100% Havana tobacco, but he's designed to wean down your intake of nicotine so that you can quit stoking. And it's got a muy bueno Mexican bandito accent. You dig, senor? Oh, my God. When It's all so terrible. With, with Hoagie and Stogie set up, the classic Robo Hunter team is assembled, and it's time to head to City Hall to get some answers. Next war- next episode, government warning, smoking can kill you. Oh my god. <laughs> this is the classic team? Just in case you were wondering if this is a, se- uh, a short-term joke, it is not. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, okay. It's we're going to have a dumb robot and a mexican pretend mexican cigar i can't tell if he's mexican or or or, uh, or, or cuban it kind of switches cuban. around i mean he's definitely got cuban cigar but like his, his i would say his uh his accent is more sort of a speedy gonzalez than i don't know yeah i'm trying to think of then, like of like a, a pop culture cuban accent i guess um Castro. like or scarface oh i mean that too <laughs> and i'm thinking of movies i've seen where someone's explicitly cuban you know what i mean but um speaking of classic teams fox thrill to judge dread i mean not yet a classic team there's one coming up <laughs> no um, right now he's getting uh he's getting railed by an alien that's right so uh script robots for judge dread are um pat mills and john wagner writing as john howard the art robot is ron smith and brian bolland the lettering robots tom frame so Rex Peters, where, where we last left off, Rex Peters is drinking the blood of Satanus, and now he's going to drink the blood of Dread, unless Dread oh, has tasty. anything to say about it. Yeah, uh, choked by his tail, Dread pulls out his boot knife and uh, attacks the the uh, blood of Satan, the uh, you know Rex's tail, and sort of Rex yowls in pain, and the lizard man escapes into the night with Dread in hot pursuit. It's 
onto the dark streets of old New York as a hard rain falls. Rex goes back to human form as Dredd gives chase across the rooftop, Tops pausing to arrest a guy for breaking into his apartments because whether you're a burglar yeah. or a were-tyrannosaur out for human blood, everybody deserves to get justice on the streets of Mega City 1 from Judge Dredd. So he handcuffs him to a railing. This will be important later. It's true. <laughs> so Dredd knows he has to take desperate measures to flush out Rex, so he cuts his own, own wrist knowing that the blood will send Rex into a frenzy, and it does. We get an awesome four-panel morphing scene as Rex's attempts to pray with an A oh. turn into Satanus's hunger for prey with an E. Oh my god. <laughs> the monster attacks the handcuffed burglar and Dredd shoots him through the heart. Oh, now he's dead. Yeah, Thank God. Because Rex... it was such a blessing. Nightmare over. He basically, he as Rex dies, he changes back to human and thanks Dredd for keeping him from doing more damage to the city. And Dredd says that's just all part of the job. Just routine as a judge in Mega City 1. Huh. Yep. Just gotta kill a man for turning into a dinosaur too many times. He turned into a monstrous dinosaur and killed, like, at least five people, dude. <laughs> All right? I mean, whatever. They were humans. I mean, also, that was sad. Dude. Um, <laughs> so, P- Dread actually takes Prog 155 off. There's no uh, Dread in 155. We, eh, that's his last... because... Yeah, definitely. It's his last day off until Prog 111. <laughs> or, oh or sorry, uh, Prog 1100, I should say. Um, Holy crap. Yeah. So pro, so uh, Dread is moved to the center of the comics. We get some sweet color pages. Mm-hmm. Out in the cursed earth, Dread rolls into a town controlled by slavers. And he takes just all the slavers down between his, his lawgiver and the lawmaster bike and all that stuff. Um, also, shout out to the lawgiver. It gets like some character in this so, arc. Yeah, I really yeah, the, love it. The law master's the bike, but yeah, you're right. Oh, right, law and master. Yeah. So there's one surviving slaver who gets stuck in uh, in quicksand or like sulfur sand, I guess to be precise. Dread mm. Dread demands to know if he's seen this boy. <laughs> and <sighs> we flash back to many days earlier as the powerful side judge Faye dies but gives a final prophecy. His visions are 88.8% accurate. He sees oh a great war destroying Mega City One with four evil creatures rising to prey on the survivors. This will happen in 2120, 18 years from now, aka 1998. If you're reading these progs, we'll get there. Um, but <laughs> one thing can save us: a child born with a symbol of the eagle on his head. He will rule the city in its gravest hour. His name is Owen Chrysler. The Judge Child, and he must be found! So awesome. It's good, man. After some searching, it's revealed that Chrysler and his family left Mega City 1 to settle in Mutiland four years ago. Dread heads out to find him. He arrives at the settlement to find out it's recently been raided by slavers. Uh, Owen's parents were murdered, like basically just hung from a signpost, essentially, and he's carried off. And- yeah, he he just sort of watched it happen, and he was like, all right, mother and father, I must go on my journey yeah. now. I'm sorry Even, that you're dead. Absolutely. Even as a kid, Owen's showing precognitive ability, so he's very, like, serene, because he knows things are going to happen, because he can see them coming in the future. Oh, my God. Yeah. So Dredd finds a picture of the kid, and he confirms that he's got the eagle birthmark, so the chase is on. 
the slaver. So back in the present, the slaver reveals that Owen has been taken to the slave market in Neutron Flats, and for his help, Dredd saves the slaver from the sulfur sand, but leaves him to his former slaves to be lynched or whatever. Dredd heads out. The quest is on! Dude, and we get to go to a hive of scum and villainy. Absolutely, yeah. We get start with a cold open where Dread is in Neutron Flats slave market for sale. Then we flash back a bit a, f- uh, a few hours ago to see Dread roll into town under a cloak hiding his identity. After seeing how Just rough awesome. things are for slaves and cursed earth, yeah, man, like a cloak Dread. He's incognito. It's super cool. The bike's in <laughs> in, in uh, incognito mode also, which is which is also kind of cool. So yeah. Dredd interrogates the auctioneer about the location of Owen Chrysler, and he was sold six months ago to Fillmore Pharaoh, the garbage king, leader of the Brotherhood of Trash. He's a huge slave and landowner and styles himself the god of garbage. Um, it's pretty ridiculous and also pretty great. Yeah. Dredd's worried about um, an assault on Pharaoh's compound endangering Chrysler, so instead he lets himself be sold into slavery. Dread gets sold to the Brotherhood of Trash, and he's taken away with his lawmaster on auto on AI-controlled autopilot, following a little bit behind, taking down anyone that messes with it. <laughs> we go to Pharaoh's kingdom, and it's very ancient Egypt. There's giant statues of him be- being pulled by slaves. We go to the city mm-hmm. of Memphis, which uh, is full of like pyramids and sphinxes and stuff. When Pharaoh finally appears, he's pretty crazy. Um, but his love of finding old junk in the uh, ma- in the trash heaps of 20th century America have made him a very rich man selling on the antique market. He's which is like very interesting. Like I we, I saw some of the things that they consider antiques, and it's like what it's a bunch of junk. What it's like does it serve? yeah, it's like street signs or table lamps, other things like that. Mm. Um. So he's received a pro- um he's like having a tomb built because he knows he's about to die because he received a prophecy from the bird boy, aka uh-huh. the judge child. Dread calls in the lawmaster and leads a fast slave revolt on the grounds of Memphis, putting on a robe uh-huh. of a cult member. He enters the chamber of Pharaoh, who is being fitted with a burial shroud made out of um <laughs> soda can pull tabs. Which is awesome. As this is happening, a hooded figure injects Owen with a needle, knocking him out. Dredd starts to die hard his way through the temple, and he finds the judge's child. Ah, mission complete. It's almost too easy. But then he gets hit by that same needle by the hooded guy. Because apparently this guy got advance warning from Owen Chrysler to watch out for Judge Dredd, and now things look bad for our hero. Next episode, Sacrifice to the Garbage God! I love how the garbage god wants to get buried with all of his garbage. I mean, that's very, like, ancient Egypt stuff. You know, they want to be buried with all their stuff. Yeah. Just like, like just like, ah, oh, just bury me with all my garbage. I love the little touches when they were, like, sanctifying the ground. Like, totally. throwing garbage on it. Yeah, there's a bunch. So apparently all of, like, the cultists and stuff are actually just sort of jerks that are humoring the crazy pharaoh or whatever but mm. it is it is funny that they've sort of just you get these snippets of a concept of this whole like garbage religion based around like sort of half remembered ancient egypt stuff it's kind of fun yeah i really enjoyed it a lot it was just super goofy and anytime that you say the word precog in something i'm reading 
I'm pretty engaged. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, listen, I don't have to see the future to know that the Judge Child is going to be awesome and in our lives for the next, like, six months. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, but Conrad. Speaking of seeing into the future... Six months? Yeah. But speaking of looking into the future, or perhaps looking into the past, Fox, <sighs> Thrill 3, Fiends of the Eastern Front... God, this is so cool. It's awesome, man. So, yeah, so script robot uh, Jerry Finley Day, art robot Carlos Escara, lettering robot Steve and Jack Potter. Um, I was corrected on the internet that I've been pronouncing Jerry Finley Day's name wrong as Gary, and so I apologize and we'll do better. <laughs> um, so we start in 1941. uh our guys in the regiment approach a chateau, and the Romanians aren't even really trying to hide that they're vampires now. Captain uh, Trooper Gorgo <laughs> gets shot dead between the eyes, but get back backs up, gets back up as a bat just flies into the chateau and takes out a sniper, basically. <laughs> Um, yeah, and everyone's like, oh, look, here he is. He's fine. It must have just grazed him. And everyone's like, yeah, okay. I, I mean, I guess that's what es- happened. Especially because he's literally got, like, a bu- a bleeding bullet hole right there in his forehead. Um, like, oh, God. But so, uh, everybody goes in the chat in... Um, goes in the chateau for the night. Dawn breaks on the chateau and Corporal Kringu, the Romanian orderly, is loading the obviously coffin equipment crates of the Romanians into the chateau basement. When suddenly the place comes under attack from Russian dive bombers! Oh my god, watch out. They're diving. They're bombing. Things are exploding. Yeah. After a bombing run, um... After bombing runner two, our guy Han Schmidt falls into the basement of the chateau and uses the Romanian coffins to study his machine gun to shoot down one of the Russian planes. The coffin comes loose, and yep, that's the Romanian captain in there. These guys are vampires. Seriously, totally confirmed. We can stop talking about it. Confirmed for vamp. The vampires start to come alive as Schmidt passes out. When he comes to, he's congratulated for his shooting, and we learn that the Romanians like definitely won't eat him because they're on the same side of the war and they don't eat their allies because they aren't jerks. They're sort of, you know, fighting vampire guys, whatever. They got their own sense of honor. <laughs> Which, you know, is quite amazing. And hey, that comes into play later. Yeah. Things are things might be rough though, as now they've been redeployed to the Arctic Circle, where it's almost constantly night and the vampires will have full reign. And of course, like Hans is like, oh god, they're totally going to eat us. This is a horrible trap. Yeah. So and so far, the vampires have not been doing trapsy stuff, man. No, man, he's really like. Okay, I want to. I want to talk about this at the end of the of the thing. All right. So, but we no we we jump ahead to the frozen north in 1942. So there's a lot of time jumps in this uh, in, in this week, Fox. So Hanschmidt continues to freak out about the Romanians being vampires, but the rest of the regiment seems to be pretty cool with it. And I and yeah. and like you said, yeah, I want him to be like, dude, like, yeah, stop being vampire racist. They're on our side, and they don't like <laughs> eat us. Like they eat the they eat the other guys. Like what do you what's your problem? You know, we're literally the Nazis. Like why do you have such a problem with uh, with vampires? Yeah. <laughs> um, weirdo yeah they can turn into dogs and bats yeah the vampires have the the germans have nothing to fear except russian ski troopers oh Uh, my god (laughs) the germans take a few out and the russians try to escape the vampires turn into a pack of wolves and run them down schmidt isn't cool with this and when a russian trooper comes toward him he rebuffs the vampire by making a cross with some ski poles 
the wolf returns to human form, and the Romani- and uh, the Romanian captain tells Schmidt basically to stop being a jerk. We're all on the same side here, a bro. <laughs> yeah, and it's just he comes over and he's super like suave about it. He's like, "It's all right. Like lead bullets can't hurt us. Whatever. Listen, yeah. don't fuck with my men. <laughs> yeah, be, be cool, dude. <laughs> like we're all on the same side here." <laughs> great so later um the unit is attacked by russian paratroopers but luckily the vampires turn into vampire bats fly up and kill them all in midair which is pretty <laughs> awesome um, it's pretty great not that great is two years later in 1944 when a, a russian plane drops leaflets on top of everybody saying that the changing course of the war has caused the romanian king to change sides and the vampires are now the enemy Oh, snap. Yeah, hands... Tr- the only one who seems to care is still Han. Yeah, well, I mean, they're like... I mean, these guys are like, well, obviously the vampires are cool dudes, so they'll just sort of be willing to be taken prisoner and stuff. Hans freaks <laughs> out and tries to stop Kringu from warning the rest of the Romanians, but... Um, the German officer basically is like, "Hand, stop being a being a weirdo," and lets Kringer go back to the Romanian troops. As dusk falls, the Romanian tr- uh, truck comes rumbling up to the regiment, and uh, Hans assumes that it's the Romanians coming to kill them all. So he grabs a grenade and uses it to explode a frozen lake, putting clean flowing water between the rums and the unit, and which which vampires can't cross, by the way, but. Water is bad news. Yeah, yeah. It means that the vampires are on the hunt now, and surely it's just a matter of time before they attack. Which jump ahead nine months, by the way, to early 1945. <laughs> oh my gosh! And the troops are on the move. Schmidt is just going crazy. He's like shooting at bats that he sees. He's making crosses out of everything that that he, <laughs> that he comes across. Um, while we, on, we should all wear one. They'll protect us. Shut like, the get fuck. get out of here, dude! All I care, I don't care about wooden crosses. I care about iron crosses because I'm a crazy Nazi guy. <laughs> exactly. Oh my god. Um, that was some shots fired shit. <laughs> so hands hands and his buddy Carl are on guard duty one night, but they come back to the barn where they're stationed, and they see everybody inside the barn is dead. They've had their blood drinking by the vampire that's in bat form on the roof of the barn. Watch out, it's right there. Yeah. At that moment, uh, Carl shows up, basically with a big like handful of garlic, basically just to mess with with uh, Hans. Like, oh, here's some garlic, scaredy cat. Hans grabs the garlic and like shoves it at this vampire and bayonets him in the heart and kills him. Um, That's one way to do it. The two of them grab more garlic and make a circle out of it as the other vampires arrive and wait outside of the circle until daylight comes. With Russian forces approaching, led by Kringu, it's time to run. There are still nine vampires to kill, and while and Carl is shocked at this turn of events, like Hans hasn't been talking nonstop about those guys being vampires for the last four years. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> so... Hans and Carl make their way across the countryside, finding German troops killed by vampires along the way. In a, in a deserted town, in a silverware shop, Hans Schmidt has a plan. They work all day, melting down all the silver in the shop. At nightfall, Carl has second thoughts, and the two of them fight, and Carl runs. With Hans chasing them, they fall into the town square, fighting, dropping their crosses. The vampires are upon them! Oh, we're gonna get you. But it's a trap! 
Oh, Cut. snap, it was just a long ruse. Two it, dudes pretending to fight each other only to secretly hide a machine gun that shoots silver bullets that I guess hurt vampires. Yeah, don't worry about it. It's pretty cool, though. They got this, they got like 200 <laughs> rounds of silver ammo in their machine gun. They mow down all the vampires. Only two survive the ones we know the names of, of course, Captain Constanta and Gorgo. Hans Super uses the last of the... Exactly. Yeah, no, they can't be there, you know... They survive. That's what they do. They're vampires. Oh. <laughs> Hans uses the rest of the ammo to take down some troopers um, that were about to turn into new vampires. And now Hans and Carl are on the hunt. There's two vampires left, and they must be destroyed. Next episode, the Supreme Conf... The, oh, geez. the Supreme Sacrifice. Someone's gonna die. Exactly. Yeah. Man, it's like... <laughs> I thought it was just really funny, especially the first couple episodes. Like you said, how... Um, Hans is such a jerk to these vampires. Like they're sort of <laughs> like they save his life like like several times, and his response is like, "No, you vampires, I don't like you." Like there's a uh, there's a he weird definitely... yeah. Go ahead. Oh, go for it. Oh, no, I'm just saying there's a weird like uh, like people putting aside racism to to get along to fight a greater enemy story in this story about Nazis and vampires becoming friends or something like. That. I was really, I was really it. hoping it would be like a, a bro story about like how how my best friends are now Nazi vampires from <laughs> Romania. No such luck. <laughs> yeah, man. Like clearly, this is some shit. I wanted Top Gun, but you know, in Russia during Nazi times with vampires. I just want to say this is a, yet another example of Space Spinner Two Thousand siding with the anti-human monsters against humanity. <laughs> Well, all right. It's our, it's our trademark I mean, move. <laughs> listen, they're not against humanity. They're just against basic freedoms. That's fair. You know, I was, I was talking about the vampires, not the Nazis. I was talking about them both. They're fighting a war. Super fair. Super fair. All right. Clearly, they've got a side. Their vested interest is blood. Oh, definitely. Hey, speaking of other of of other vested interests, Fox. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, Non-thrills, covers, nerve center, fan art, reviews, Hall of Heroes, top ten sci-fi movies, and Captain Clap. There's so oh, much God, stuff. All of it? There's so much stuff, Fox. Oh, my God. I'm going to die. Uh, okay. Let's go fast. Uh, Frog 154. Ian Gibson does a fun cover of Sam Slade and the Murderous Teeny Mex. In the nerve center, Tharg explains what happens when letters are sent in, and a writer wants to know what's happened to Dan Dare. Tharg says that there's a TV show coming up, but it, I'll let you know that that show is doomed to fail. There's yeah. in the letters there's a pretty fun, a, a neat commercial for Mac Mac with quotes from the 2000 AD cast. Wolf says it'll make you crazy as Dare Cucumber, uh, which is mid- fair. It's yeah. true. Mac Mac is delicious and makes you powerful. Absolutely. Um, mid-prog, Rojas presents some robots, some robot-based fan art, and there's some good stuff here, and all the artists, all, are, are, all the artists are called Humes, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, we're working on this, uh, Hall of Heroes poster, which has sort of Judge Dredd in action scene, and then different, uh, 2080 heroes all around it. We got the upper left portion of the Hall of Heroes this week with Shacko, Dan Dare, Bill Savage, Mach 1, and Old One-Eye, which proves that Old One-Eye was the hero of Flesh Book 1, which I think is important. <laughs> Hell yes. 
The, uh, the list of top 10 sci-fi movies goes to number three with The Thing. And this is the 1951 movie that the John Carpenter movie is a remake of. Um, the description talks up the excellent sci-fi storytelling using minimal special effects, which seems very cool. Yeah, like, you know, I like the uh, the Thing movie is an example of what I like to see in Hollywood, where they remake bad movies into good movies, as opposed to their current move of making bad move of, of making good movies into bad movies, which I I appreciate much less. <laughs> That's, yes, I like. It's very interesting. The uh, like I I had no fucking clue that this was uh, a movie from before. Yeah. I've only seen the one from, what, 1983, 1984? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. Interesting. I'm going to have to go back and watch the shittier one. <laughs> or at least the older one. I don't know. Um, I mean, but tomato to tomato. Exactly. Prog 155, uh, the cover is a neat Cam Kennedy action scene. Join the VCs and vape a space invader today. In, okay. uh, I don't yeah. like him. Always. In the Nerve Center, Tharg teases the upcoming search for the Judge Child, and a writer named Robert Knott tells everyone that it's time to start collecting comic books. Prog 1 is almost worth three pounds, and the annuals are worth a pound fifty. Oh my god. Yeah, also check out fanzines and stuff. Get out there and get collecting, buddy. Comic book fandom. The, uh... (laughs) My understanding is that today, Prog 1 sells for, like... 55 or 60 pounds and Prague 2 is more like 65 or 75 because of the Judge Dread premiere inside of it. Um, but all of these are, but all of those Prague ones are without space spinners and I bet you could get like $5,000 if you were selling a space spinner on the open market today. <laughs> like for real. <laughs> I mean, I will give you like a hundred and hundred groats for a space spinner. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. They're galactic groats. Absolutely. You can use yeah. them anywhere. <laughs> Mid-Prog, there's an extended section about the black hole, the uh, the movie, that's hosted by Rojas. Yeah. It's a long thing, Ro- uh, but there's a review in it and then like a inter- little interviews and stuff. Uh, Rojas thought the movie had great effects, but was sort of middling otherwise. He talks about mm-hmm. it having an A certificate. Which is the first movie, the first Disney movie to earn one. And from my, from my understanding, the uh, an A certificate is like an old British film rating code and the equivalent of a PG thirteen here in the states. Oh, the uh, the yeah. article ends with Rojas talking to some of the cast and crew and getting offended by production designer Georgie McGinnis saying that the robots in movies have to look good. The cheek to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Rojas is offended and stomps off. The upper right part of the Hall of Heroes features Rojas and Hammerstein, the Visible Man, the Stainless Steel Rat, and Johnny Alpha, as well as Mach Zero, which is a pretty solid crew overall, I think. Man, this top right quadrant is great. But all of the choices are good choices. There's no, like, uh, here's the dude from Colony Earth in here. Here's, like, Lorna Varn from Death Planet or something like that. Oh, my God. Um, uh, I want I want a shirt that says "Remember Laura Varn." Oh God, no! I mean, you deal one or does? Uh, <laughs> so, what was the guy's name from from that terrible <laughs> Colony Earth thing? He's the one that actually dies. I mean, it doesn't matter. Move yeah. on. Sorry, I don't want to. Yeah, don't distract me with that stuff, dude. Um, oh God. So, 
So uh, Captain Klepp is caught in the past, you remember from last episode, and basically he just kind of lives the next 50 million years or whatever. He spends some time as like Genghis Klepp, Leonardo de Klepp, Christopher Columbo Klepp, Lord Admiral yeah. Horatio Klepp, even Elvis Klepp. So yeah. at some point he starts growing a giant beard in the 80s. It's finally just dragging around him um, like a full city block. He shaves, and it's time to investigate a new crime, the murder of five, bang, six dead taxi drivers. Wow. <laughs> uh, sci-fi movie... Exactly, yeah. Sci-fi movie number four is The Day the Earth Stood Still, which is an excellent sci-fi movie with a good anti-war message. Klaatu barada nikto, buddy. All right, then. Yeah. Uh, Prague 156, Brian Bolland inspires Terminator 2 as the Judge Child Quest begins. Have you seen this boy? Um, Tharg says that this prog is 2000 AD's three-year anniversary, although the first prog is dated as February 26th, but I don't know how it works with, like, release dates and street dates and things like that. So, there is, yeah, there is a 2000 AD birthday song to be sung. Goes like this, Borag Mindlux, Molarg, Borag Qualax, Quolarg, Borag Thungos, Borag Thongos, Borag Thongos, Great Tharg, and good times. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. Special day, great one. Always. Uh, in the letters, there's a teacher who writes in to complain about Roman, uh, Roman Sola taking over a couple pages of Blackhawk in Prague 143 and 144. Get out of here with your complaints. That's what I say. Just- and it's time for a, for a, for the big contest that Targ te- that Tharg teased last episode. Eighty kids will win a sweet bla- a sweet blaster pistol worth five pounds, and two hundred more will win a two thousand eighty space quiz space quiz book, which I'm extremely tempted to buy for us to do some space quizzes, Fox. Oh God, um, I, you want to see me fail some space quizzes? Always. Um, <laughs> Uh, anyway, the gun looks like a squirt pistol, and yeah. there isn't anything more insulting to a child than a fucking squirt pistol. Well, this one lights up and makes noises and stuff, so I don't know. It, it could be cool. Um, so there you go. Yeah. I want Cap- one. Definitely. Captain Klepp goes undercover to stop the six, bang, seven dead taxi drivers. He, uh... <laughs> He goes undercover, he's quickly taken hostage, and his cab is stolen by the killer. He suits up as Captain Klepp, and only he can solve the case of the eight, bang, nine dead cabbies. There's also a birthday 2080 uh. quiz with ten questions that I forgot to ask Fox for his answers for before this episode, but anyone who's, who's been paying attention to this show should be able to get them all pretty easily. I'd say the hardest is recognizing Rojas's model number, which is Fred2L. Oh... Yeah, sci-fi movie number five is When Worlds Collide, which I haven't seen um, or really heard of, I must admit. It makes good use mm-hmm. of miniatures, apparently, though, as it won a, a special effects Oscar. Huh. Yeah, Prague 157. Uh, I thought this cover was funny, and apparently it's that uh, the Earth edition of this issue was lost or sent to Mars by accident. And so instead, Earth gets the Martian edition of 2000 AD, which has a huh. great Kevin O'Neill action cover full of anti-Earth sentiment. <laughs> Tharg explains that this comic has been treated with translato fluid, so you can read the Martian dialogue easily. Mm. Um, Also, based on a letter, Tharg offers a five-pound prize to any Earthlet who counts the number of exclamations in this prog. I counted them, Fox, 
and um, <laughs> there's how many may- are there? Well, there's maybe five if you count the the uh, robot jailers during Sam Slade's escape, sort of going like. And then the geek sort of speaking their geek language, and then going like going gee. And then there's one example of of uh, dread shouting drock in a thought bubble. But since Tharg seems to be talking about one word exclamations, none of those really mm. count. And dreads was in a thought bubble, which might not count either. So it could be five, it could be zero, because Tharg's just kind of a jerk that way. Uh, <laughs> the sci-fi movie number six comes early in the prog, and it's them. Which is one of the most oh, fun titles of a of a science fiction movie ever. Them and <laughs> okay, and as a fine example of nineteen fifties <laughs> giant bug movies, uh, Klep checks with his informant Trot Trot uh, Trot's K Top informer, but before he can get the lowdown, Trot Trot's is killed as well, and that's the eleven bang twelfth taxi driver killed. Klep. Oh Clem raises after the killer. A lady grabs his leg and asks, asks him to stop her brother, Rupert, Kil- Rupert Hitler, who is going to murder a bunch of people to start an army and destroy the world. But sorry, Klepp only handles major cases. Great. In uh, Prague 158, it's the iconic Fiends of the Eastern Front cover by Carlos Escara. No, please, oh, at yeah. least wait until I've read this week's Prague. Shouts a guy under attack <laughs> from the Fiends. It's awesome. Yeah, there's a Vampires ton- are awesome. Vampire, yeah, vampire soldiers are awesome in general, I'd say. Um, there's um, a lot of letters this week, including questions about, like, what's up with Dredd's teeth, and a joke about the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy being put in the travel section of a bookstore. There's oh, some, that's amazing. It's pretty good. It's good, you know, no one knows what it is, but it's sort of like whatever. Uh, we've got some a- more alien design contest winners this week. There's a, there's a Chuck Humagat, which is a mix of a mag, a maggot, a human, and a smiling Chuckwalla. Um, there's a <laughs> Bithonian scooter hippo. That is my new favorite thing, just in terms of like, here's uh... an incredibly disturbing picture of a weird alien with a scooter. <laughs> it makes me very uncomfortable. It's weird mouth thing is, Probably part of it, and it's, it's tiny got, arms. It's got tiny arms and like a weird, like three arm mouth kind of thing. It's it's real gross. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Captain Klepp bursts into the office of Inspector Mad Max, who I'm going to assume is the uh, is is a satire of a guy from some British TV show, in 1980. It turns out that it um it was that Rupert Hitler guy from last Prague who's been killing all of the uh, 14 bang 15 cab drivers. So now Klepp, and so now he, but he takes Klepp, Max, and Max's deputy, or whoever some other guy from the show is hostage. He'll kill them all, and then begin his world conquest or whatever. Hey, there's only one prog of Captain Klepp left, Fox, hooray! Oh my god, finally. Uh, this prog ends with the stars of the comic reminding you to order prog 159 today. They all do it in character. Um, there am only one thing in Galaxy better than Mac Mac. 2000 AD! I don't know about that, man. Mac Mac's pretty good. Hey, you know, I mean, Ursa's got to compromise his integrity a little bit to keep being printed, you know? Uh, Sci-fi movie number seven is Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the 1956 version, of course. Um, Now, while Invasion of the Body Snatchers is definitely like a masterpiece of Cold War paranoia and is a really good movie, it's interesting to compare the time jump of these classic sci-fi movies you know, this one's 1956. The next movie on the list comes out in 1968. Oh, wow. So it's like a 12-year jump. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Fox. Speaking, What's up? Speaking of jumping through time. Oh, God. 
Thrill for Blackhawk. So, uh, script robot for Blackhawk is Alan Grant, writing as Alvin Gaunt, art robots Massimo Bellardinelli, lettering robots Pete Knight. So, uh, Blackhawk and Captain Psycho wander the fungus forest when Blackhawk suddenly finds himself back in the Roman arena. Oh, crap, he's tripping out. Yeah, things go bad, and the Emperor Nero gives him the thumbs down. But then Zog and Ursa show up. Huzzah! Um, awesome, they're going to beat up all these gladiators. Yeah, things are getting really weird here, Fox, especially when Sebek, the god that Blackhawk always swears by, shows up and uh, says he's going to kill him, and Sebek turns out to be a giant gator man who's got gator heads for hands! It's it's amazing. He's just, like, got rows and rows and rows of teeth and on his little handies. He's got teeth on all of his appendages, oh gosh. <laughs> it's really uh it's really disgusting but that's just what happens when you're a god i feel like yeah actually absolutely yeah no it's, it, it definitely makes sense that this would be sort of a, a a a nubian god that you'd worship if you were a big warrior or something like that for sure because you really hope that one day you could have your own head for your hands listen if i'm gonna be in a polytheist if i'm a warrior in a polytheistic religion i'm gonna worship the most badass god available and a gator <laughs> man fair. with gator hands seems pretty badass i gotta say gator man gator hands <laughs> oh dude yeah that's for your metal country song um so Blackhawk continues to fight, refusing to give in, and the monstrous god disappears. We learn that both Blackhawk and Psycho are trapped in the garden of the Dreamweaver. So, uh... <laughs> the DW tricks Blackhawk into eating the poisonous vegetation of Silver Sun, and he starts tripping balls as the Dreamweaver drains his life energy. He finds oh himself in the same hallucination as our old buddy Batak, who... Oh, God, how? Yeah, well, he's also being held in the throes of the Dreamweaver, and, and in his fantasy dream, he's the king of the planet Zeo, and Blackhawk's brought in as a lowly prisoner. Uh, Batak senses him to be fed to the larva. Blackhawk really terrifying it's really like gross man all these bugs just completely cover blackhawk and start biting taking chunks out of him basically um yeah it's really gross they're like all over him just getting all <laughs> oogie yeah blackhawk had uh, or, or sorry patak has some second thoughts to start to question his reality but he hasn't gone full bore yet we see <laughs> that captain psycho has fully gone over to the dream weavers side uh, Blackhawk manages to snap Attack out of his dream by reminding him of the claw that Blackhawk cut off in the arena. The two awaken and attack both Psycho and the DW. Blackhawk kills them both with a blood blade um, after they've been beaten, which is pretty ruthless. And we see that Blackhawk has yeah. begun his transition to evil dude because of his soulless state. The less left side of his face is all ugly now. We gotta, yeah. We gotta find that dang soul sucker, cause the dream we the dream weavers was not able to get us through the night, buddy. No way. No. <laughs> so back at the castle, Ursa and Zog, oh yeah, are, are chilling out. Yes. When the mighty Kerbeast returns, they assume that this means Blackhawk is in trouble, which is reasonable. So the pair mounts up and rides out. They. 
get to the mushroom forest and start to go on foot as Zog eats some of the shrooms and starts tripping balls as well. He starts yeah. Yeah, he starts hanging out with a Grateful Dead teddy bear and all that. Um, it, I mean, it's actually Ursa, right? But he just sees him as a big old teddy. Oh, that's right. Yeah, okay. That yeah. makes sense, actually. Um, the pair run across the skeletal remains of Psycho and the Dreamweaver, and Ursa correctly assumes that their uh, that that their murders means that Blackhawk is soon behind is is uh, is is not far behind. Well, one would hope that he didn't like get disintegrated or like turned into goo or liquid or something, and guess just making a mistake. There's a lot going on, but honestly, if there's murder, you can probably count on a black being Blackhawk here in Silver Sun, you know. Um, yeah. Ursa kind of throws Zog over his shoulder and goes in the search, singing the searching song for Blackhawk. My human <laughs> friend, him black, him tall, him meet with nasties, kill them all. Would him forget Ursa, remind him when him lost, Ursa will find him. <laughs> It's really great. God, I love Ursa. <laughs> Ursa's so good, dude. Um, Why is there not an Ursa comic? I don't know. It's uh, well, well, okay. You know, stay tuned for further Massimo Bellardinelli works uh, this fall. Is what I'm going to say, just to, to tease you a little bit. Um, All right. A bunch of bozos, which are like these black furred monkey monsters that live in a huge cluster high above the fungus forest. Um, yeah. Are fall from the canopy and attack Batak and, uh, and, and Blackhawk. Luckily, this is just when Ursa and Zog appear to help them all escape. Uh, the Bozo's attacks keep coming, so the quartet hide in a cave from which a familiar phrase is being chanted Borag, Borag Thong. Borag Thong. Inside the cave, they find a robot that, identif- that uh, identifies them, like, oh yes, a Nubian human from Earth. And uh, asks them for help. He tells his tale. He's Quark, created by the Tharians. And there's a very weird and Zarjaz uh, flashback as we see Quark being created by a bunch of Thargs, basically. Yeah. They've, they're, they're all. Zarjaz, like, assembly line, to be honest. Beautiful definitely. robots. They're perfect. Yeah. So the Quarks are explorers, but this one got caught in the black hole, and its arm and legs have been broken off by the Bozos. Oh, no. Yeah, Blackhawk forces Quark to tell him where the soul sucker has been hidden. Quark <laughs> doesn't know, but he estimates that the beast, being a jerk, probably had it hit it in the hell at world's end. Next episode, the soul sucker, danger rating five skulls. I have a feeling it will be handled within a couple of pages, but sure, we'll say five skulls. I mean, it's dangerous, but yeah, we are getting towards the end of Blackhawk. Oh no! Yeah, thrill the end of Blackhawk. <laughs> Speaking of danger in space, Fox. <laughs> thrill five, the VCs. Vape, vape. Uh, script robot Jerry Finley Day, art robot Gary Leach and Cam Kennedy, lettering robot Steve Potter, and the Aldrich Mark II. So. Steve Smith soliloquizes about the need to protect Earth, and the other guys give him a hard time about it, especially Ringer, the ship's pilot who we haven't heard much from, but is turned into a real jerk, to be honest. Um, yeah, he's getting real in this guy's face. Yeah. However, orders come down, and the new mission is to go to Earth. 
with the ship going into orbit over Transatlantic City, a giant metropolis built on, in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, which is super cool, and it's Smith's hometown. Um, it looks uh, it looks like a pretty crazy party. It's full of like skyscrapers and scantily clad ladies, and yeah, just just party all the time, basically. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Smith calls home, and we meet the Smith family. They're extremely clueless about the current situation. They don't even know like who the enemy is or that they're in danger. Basically, it's very much like um, like I don't know, like sort of a quiet on the east on the on the uh, western front kind of thing where um. Yeah, you, know, you, you go back home in the middle of the war, and then and like you don't understand how the civilians do anything while you're fighting and dying out there on the front. You know, it is very like his dad just is completely rude over the phone. Yeah, he all yeah yeah sorry. Smith's dad also like insults Jupe, who you know is a really awesome dude, and it's just no good. Yeah. Um, as the uh, as the ship returns to orbit, Loon notices something wrong with the moon, and a scan of the dark side reveals a geek sco- suicide squad. They fire oh off. God. They fire off two missiles before the boys can vape them, and the missiles are headed straight to Earth. The VCs fight the geeks on the moon until the local military force shows up and then go to observe the damage on Earth. The missiles that got through have all struck Transatlantic City, completely destroying it. Huge mushroom clouds all over the metropolis. Twenty million are dead, including Smith's entire family. Good God. Ringer, of course, is a huge asshole about this, and Smith beats him up until Jupe separates them. Word has come in... Probably the, for the best. I mean, seriously. The word has come in, and the geeks have attacked all over the solar system on uh, on Ganymede and Jupiter and one of Saturn's, Saturn's moons, too. Um, basically, this forces the government into a new stance. we got to go on offense and take the fight to the geeks. Smith is in. He's going to find every... He's going to find the geek galaxy, rip back the mat, and wipe them out! So, cut to six months later on Saturn's moon of Titan. The VCs have been doing intensive training to fight the Geek Menace. And we learned that the uh, that the Geeks hit uh, Iapetus, or Japetus, which is one of Saturn's yeah. moons. And Titania, which is one of the moons over Uranus. Woo! Oh, yeah! <laughs> Besides Star Troopers, the fleet will consist of battle troopers trained in planetary assault and at least one diplomat or dishwasher. Which Everyone has really? to learn new... Yeah, you know, you gotta have somebody to talk and be the bad guy, basically. Um, everyone has to learn new stuff. They train on new guns. Smith learns to navigate by new stars, etc. Plus, Ringer's getting extre- increasingly hostile to Smith, like throwing a razor-sharp murder frisbee at yeah. him, and they all have to wear these, like, uh, breathing tubes and stuff. It's like, what the hell? It's it's crazy, like, especially because it wasn't even Ringer who, like, tried to kill... Um, Smith earlier, that was Loon, you know? Like, this is really coming out of nowhere, yeah. almost. Um, finally, the location of the Geek home galaxy has been found. The expeditionary force lo- loads up and warps to the system, but as they arrive... Oh, jeez, it's a Geek battle line! They were waiting for us! It's a trap! Uh, it's a trap! <laughs> exactly. And they're all in the sun, so yeah. it's, like, hard to see them or yeah. something. Yeah, the system they launch into has two suns, and it... Um, and it blinds, and the glare blinds all the VC's systems, so they can't fight back as the geeks start blowing up troop ships. A oh captain of another ship, Callisto, flies into a geek ship, sacrificing himself and destroying it and screening some of the sun's rays. 
So they're able to fight back against the geek patrollers and the invasion of the geek world is on. Um, they find a planet. They don't really find a lot on it. There's just sort of a, a couple buildings on a lake. But, yeah. you know, rather than sort of recon or do anything, it's time to drop all <laughs> of our troops on there at once. Let's go. No time. Just like poop a bunch of troops on the ground. Oh, look, that that building's opening up and there's just thousands of geeks pouring out of it. Oh, no, the geeks, which we all know, constantly use traps and honeypots to um, draw people in. I've done another honeypot trap. Oh, no. Oh, my God. So there's geeks pouring out of the lake. The ground forces are taking heavy losses. And the dishwasher has determined that the casualties would be too great to try to rescue them. So instead, they're just going to leave all these guys to die in the geek ambush. They're going to move on. Uh, the VCs are not cool about this. And Smith has a plan. They could probably fire someone in EVA to in EVA seat through the missile tube of the ship. And while one man couldn't... Yeah, it's like while one man couldn't win a battle like by fighting on his own a hardened veteran could lead the battle troopers to a a, a, a win sort of through organization and leadership and stuff mm-hmm. smith volunteers and jupe joins him the two of them suit up and head out let's rip those geeks oh yeah man we gonna vape the hell out of them yeah next episode siege city <laughs> which is presumably a couple cities before suplex city but what do i know uh, what <laughs> wrestling references woo um, don't understand i'm sorry baby hey i mean you know it's just more of this weird tv stuff hey fox speaking Take of on rest. speaking of weird tv stuff oh god thrill six thug this is your life this is um, weird script robot is steve mcmanus but is uncredited art robots color scare lettering robot is jack potter so, Tharg is basically lured into a TV show for an edition of This Is Your Life, a TV show which, I'll admit, sort of going back to the previous thrill, I mostly know from, like, WWE shows doing parodies of it to make fun of people. <laughs> yeah. But apparently it's some, like, old show where they would sort of bring someone on and they'd bring a bunch yeah. of, like, pe- people from their past and all that stuff and just sort of do a biography on somebody. So we do it for Tharg. We learn how, uh, we see stuff like how the star Beetlejuice actually kind of has a pattern on it, uh, like the face of a, of a, of a, a, a Thargian. And that baby Tharg could one hand overhead press 500 tons as a baby. Yeah. The, the show brings out Tharg's sister, Marg, and the two of them thumb their noses at each other, which is the traditional Thargian greeting. We meet Marg's 50 husbands as a mysterious figure in a fedora and trench coat is fighting his way into the studio. So I guess all Thargians have the rosette of Sirius? Maybe they have different rosettes, but they all kind of look like the rosette of Sirius. I'm not sure about it. Hmm. Um, Like, don't get me... I don't want to make up rosette facts, you know, but it, they do all have... Don't they, you they worry. do all. They do all have something like that for sure. Um, we see Very some, weird. yeah, we see some flashbacks to uh, young Tharg of making his first attempt at comic at a comic book, Tharger Comics, only to be yep. roughed up by the teenage bullies of the dictators of Zrag, who then get energy bolts for their trouble. These stu- can eat buds. Yeah, these the the studio is then attacked by Zorgon the Zapper, who which what. Well, you'll recall his wanted poster from the cover of Prague 131 a couple episodes ago, Fox. But okay. um, oh yeah, like he had a, he had his name written on his hat or whatever. But um, mm. Tharg takes God. him out. 
Tharg takes him out handily, but unfortunately in the fight, the studio and most of Tharg's droids have been destroyed, so Tharg drafts Zargon on as an assistant until the robots can be repaired. Hooray! It's a fun little story, although a sad one for robots. Hey, Fox, speaking of sad robot stories... Oh. Thrill 7, Rojaz's Robo Tales. I don't know how to feel about this one. Yeah, it's the revolt of the TikTok Talk Monkey Bomb. Script robot Gary Rice, art robot Dave Gibbons, lettering robot Tony Jacob. Hey, Dave Gibbons is back. That's nice. He's a good artist. And you know, and, and you know what? I love the raining down from the sky shot. Yeah, that was great and horrific. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he's back after uh, leaving the show for uh, with Dan Dare. But yeah, so we're back in the Volgon War. Um. One of their weapons, though, has a flaw, which is that this uh, bomb, this thing that's basically, it's a TikTok monkey bomb. It's usually a dumb robot that just grabs onto an enemy soldier, makes a TikTok sound as it counts down to terrify them and then explode. But <laughs> due to an accident at the factory, one of them has a fully functioning logic circuit and can think and reason and stuff. Not so, great if you're a bomb that exa- attaches to people. Definitely. So our buddy, uh, Bomb13, uh, <laughs> decides to think. So instead of blowing up when he grabs an enemy trooper, instead he grabs him and takes him hostage, forcing him to go to a MASH unit, which is a mobile android servicing headquarters. <laughs> Whenever the soldier balks at a request, uh, 13 starts ticking to like f- like freak him out that he'll explode, basically. So... After entering the unit and killing a couple of his own guys, the bomb forces the soldier to use spare parts to build him a new, non-exploding body. But, uh-oh, 13 <laughs> forgot about his remote detonation system, so after all this, he still explodes! Beep, beep, beep! <laughs> it was so amazing. Just oh. a, it's a sad little tragic story about a uh, Volgan suicide bomb trooper robot thing, you know. Who just wanted a normal life. Don't we all, Fox? Don't we all, you know? Was that so wrong? Exactly. But that's all for the uh, for thrills this month, man. What oh, would, God. What would you say was your, uh, which thrill did you think had the most thrill power and the least thrill power for this March of 1979? God, it's so hard because... Sam Slade, like, smashed through a prison in a giant robot suit and, like, stepped on a guy and went to jail and there's all this cool stuff going on, but Judge Dredd's just starting to judge child. It's really wicked cool. He had to go find him and hunt down some slavers, put himself Mm -hmm. on auction, find out that there's a crazy god king (laughs) that is making trash pyramids. And then, in Nazi Germany... There were vampires. Can't stress or I that should enough. Say Nazi, Nazi-infested Russia, and like, then those vampires switched sides and started killing Nazis. Yeah. So now I don't know if they're good guys or not. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> I think they've become good guys, which is kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, who do you root for, the German or the vampires? Mm. Some kind of rooting for the vampires. That's fair. They didn't do anything except help out their side, and all the other dude did was be a jerk so okay it's really hard for me is basically what i'm gonna say uh-huh. all of those are amazing uh gut time i'm gonna go with i mean i feel like judge dreads is gonna be amazing regardless 
I'm going to go with Fiends of the Eastern Front. It's amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. And so I, I noticed you left a couple things out there, Fox. Uh, what would you say? <laughs> what thrill? What was the le- Which thrill had the least thrill power this month? So there was enough uh, Ursa and Zog to make me not hate all of Blackhawk. Uh huh. If that makes sense, like sure. I, I don't know. I'm still not all that excited about it. Like. The best parts were when Ursa and Zog were tripping out in the woods. Totally, you know? yeah. At least they were having fun. <laughs> but, uh, you know, VC Warriors... Or, uh, the VCs. Uh, the VCs, God, ABC Warriors. Anyway, VCs, like, I, I am enjoying it. It's cool. It's just not. It's just not at that same level, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Sure. Like, it's a very good comic, and I think you should read it. It's just, right now, there are three very starkly amazing ones going on. Definitely, and yeah. And kind of taking all of my attention. Yeah, it definitely sense. it definitely just forces it. Like, you know, there's that, that, that coupon in the start of 2008 where you got to put stuff in order. And while the VCs mm. is fine, it just ends up being below Dread, Robo Hunter, and um, Fiends, you know? Yeah, it's just coming in at the wrong time for a, a a standard fair comic that is not offensive and to be honest has great like morality things that it tries to push but also mm-hmm. smith's kind of annoying whatever sure still good yeah anyway conrad what was your top thrilling overpowered amazing thrill load that you enjoyed the most sure so like i said you know i'm mostly sort of um what i'm calling cursed earth protocols for the judge trial um series where it's, <laughs> ba- it's basically at any given time the top thrill is is, is dreads to lose essentially but mm-hmm. right now i think i'm gonna say my my, my the, the most thrilling for me was a uh, robo hunter like, yes. That prison escape was so good. The TD mechs are so like a combination <laughs> of cute and terrifying. And like I love Hoagie being a dumb robot. <laughs> like that's really fun. Like it it means that there's like that there's like humor and action kind of mixed together, and that's what makes for a really good thrill. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. so it's my top, although man, Fiends is also really good. And again, like I just love the conversation like I, I love the conversation <laughs> about it of like, well there's vampires and there's like uh German troops, like who are we rooting for here? Like what's going on, you know? <laughs> it's really rough. Yeah. Um yeah, I think you know, Fiends I think kind of gets maligned sometimes as like not a great thrill, but I think it's actually pretty fun. Um I, it's hilarious. Yeah. And um, so those are all, yeah, I definitely agree with you that all, all three of those are pretty top. But for me, it was Robo Hunter this week. Uh, oh, my yeah. bottom thrill, I'm, I'm going to say it's Blackhawk is my bottom thrill. Um, yeah. Like the little bit of Zog and Ursa sort of being companions and singing songs at the end of the, at the, uh, at the, end of the Prague and stuff. Are, are cool and that's definitely what I'm looking for but it's also just like five pages or like you know four progs of uh, Blackhawk feeling sorry for himself and weird um, yep. dream stuff which is again fine and I really liked Sebek and stuff like this isn't like this isn't really super bad but it definitely is sort of the one that I'm any given prog at the Blackhawk's the one I'm least interested in seeing what's happening you know yeah, you're not like, having fun. You're just listening to a man complain about his soul. Or when and then I am, like two yeah. or three interesting characters show yeah. up. When I am having fun, it's with secondary characters doing sort of side stuff, you know? Oh, um, yeah, man. 
I think the VCs is pretty cool. Like, I, I definitely like sort of, um, they sort of did this last episode too of just meeting some, going someplace and having it be really alive and vibrant and then have it be destroyed by the geeks. I think that's a really, um, affecting, like, um, format, I guess. Mm. Um, that I thought really worked with it this month. I think it's going to work with it less in the coming months as we're sort of in the geek worlds fighting the geeks. You know what I mean? Um, if we ever fucking get there, man. Yeah, I think I I think we are. I'm just saying that mostly I would have think I would like the VCs more if it was sort of a travel log of this new yeah. solar system. Like if we'd gone to all the different planets and seen all the stuff there, as opposed to sort of continuing on with the with the war. You know what I mean? But it makes I, sense I guess to my do this. Comment was meant more around like the like it's like the first planet they land on. They say is like a fake out planet, and I'm like, sure. just make it their planet. No, I mean, they've got a bit, like, the VC is, is going to last a while, so it's sort of, you know, it's fine to sort of have these things in there. And also, I just sort it. of, this incremental move and fake-outs and stuff is kind of like how you write, you know, these um, these comics in a lot of ways. That's fair. That's really fair. <laughs> Anyhow, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. You can always find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or our podcast site at Cradoline.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're spacespinner2k for everything else. Look up spacespinner2000. We should be there. We're also now on the 2080.com forums. So, you know, forum it up. I don't know. <laughs> Come back next time as the god droid appears in RoboHunter. The VCs go undercover. Uh, Blackhawk and... But, uh, both Blackhawk and Fiends from the Eastern Front reach their ends, and both Wolfie Smith and Mach Zero return for their final runs. Oh my god, Bitters. What the fuck? Yeah. Final? Finally, Judge Dredd will travel to Texas City and then to space. And along the way, oh. he'll meet both the Angel Gang and Judge Hershey. It's Dread Milestones all over next, mo- <laughs> next month. That's awesome. Until next time, until next time, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendid for three.